Hello and welcome to the 149th episode of the A&F podcast with me, Al Coates, and him, Scott Casson rennie and her, and Ruth Whiteside. Hello. Yay! I love how we do these because people are like, oh, it's Al and Scott, and then we say, and? <laughs> hey! It's like, oh, we've got someone interesting to listen to. We keep listening. Yay! Yes, yes, and the vain hope that some normal functioning adult arrives. Um <laughs> No chance. <laughs> well, we've got. <laughs> yes, I do know you in the real world as well, so I can vouch that you are a character. Yeah. Um, I, I am. Um, this episode is a sort of a partner to a piece that I've done with uh, Sarah Denham Martin, who is. Uh, so there's two podcasts out this weekend when this is released. So please go and listen to the one, and that's about children. But before we get into all of that, Ruth, we, if you in, let us indulge our little two minute news update, Absolutely. because uh, we are at this fantastic time of the year, Scott. Isn't it wonderful time of the year? It is. It's Halloween. Uh, well, nearly yes. Christmas. I had my no. birthday last week. Did you? I did, yeah. Did you wish All me right, happy well birthday, done. actually, thinking about it? I need to go through no, my no. messages. Probably not. No, anyway. Frankly, not interested. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not my birthday. Um, <laughs> Even when it is your birthday, you don't care either. So what are you on about? Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah. So, well, anyway, it's National Adoption Week, and we've had it out there. Trigger. Trigger alert. Trigger alert. It's not really National Adoption Week unless two things happen. One is that I win an award, and secondly, I get called a twat. Oh, pardon my French. Um, <laughs> and so I, I haven't won an award, but I have been called a TWAT. Yes. Um, and, but other than that, it seems to have gone without hitch this year. Any, any thoughts mm. and reflections from your um, perspective, Scott? Um, I've avoided it like the plague. I, it's funny because, yeah. like you, if it's a National Adoption Week, if we, I... I win an award, but I don't get called that name because I actually, I actually tone police myself <laughs> when it comes to National Adoption Week. And it's funny because I... it came, it was on my Facebook memories. Um, so Tris had recorded the, the evening that I got my award at the National Adoption Week Awards in 2016, I think it was. You know that this time so when you got this... congratulatory. Yeah, it is. When you got that second award that you should never have got, which I think we've talked about before. Anyway, that's... Yeah. And I actually cringed through the whole thing. I watched it and I cringed. And I cringed for two reasons. One is because I talked the biggest lot of crap I've ever heard me talk when I was doing my acceptance. Thing. Like I was at the Academy Awards, right? So that was the first You're part. You're thanking your mother and your dog. Yeah, and exactly. Your cat yeah. And your budgie. And, and and your... I said at the end, I said, and this is not just for me, this is for all adopters, right? And it's just like, did I really, was I that stupid? <laughs> oh, anyway, right. So that, I, that's a trigger for me. Okay. But the second point, point is um that was six years ago and the podcast has been gone six years no. yeah um yeah as well as 2016 yeah, yeah that's six years yeah um and um I, it just struck me that things have changed so much so you and i yeah the, we, we've got so, i've got so many photos on my facebook of you and i before the awards before you know and i'm not just talking about the ones the evenings where we've won awards talking about other evenings as well and i just i cringe because i just think how far how far i've moved on in terms of my kind of understanding of what national adoption week means to everybody because it's just not the the week that it used to 
kind of try and reflect in terms of saying, oh yeah, look at look at this. You know, we've got four year olds who need um, families, and there's oh, excuse you, yeah, sort of five pound note come up there. It sounded like. <laughs> And, and um, you know, the, the, the oh, they're never too old and, da, da, and all these kind of things. And I just cringe. I really do cringe because, you know, over the last six years since doing the podcast, I've, we say it all the, the time, but we've, we've listened. We've listened and I just can't be arsed with it. I will be honest with you. I've avoided it. I've avoided adoption generally on social media this year. As you know, I, I that was my New Year's resolution not to talk about it. Um, and, yeah, it's just it's a lot of old bollocks because well i yeah. think uh, i think some of that's true i think that there's some apparently there's a, all of it is things. true what are you about? okay all of it's true in your head uh, no but i think that there's uh, there's been a, a shift in the tone and the, the messaging we've not got um we've not got pictures of children in newspapers because no for, for the stuff this week <laughs> we've, we've moved on from that and um, so i think it, it's it's complicated, but it's certainly moved on. I mean, I think I, I don't want to really rehash it. Last year we had Sarah Jahal on, and I don't particularly mm. think that we need to. I tell you, t- the audio tonight is an absolute nightmare. I want to apologise because I I forgot my microphone. And I'm in London, and um, so I sound like I'm in a very big tunnel, tunnel. And <laughs> um, but you know, this is what it is. And I don't want to talk about adoption anymore. Tonight. Okay. Okay. Well, so um, Bon Jovi. <laughs> bon Jovi. And over to Ruth. Ruth, if you could just give us a give us forty minutes, your view. <laughs> yeah, just talk for forty minutes, Ruth. And, uh, yeah, this is like a coughing episode. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not really sure I can coughing. without coughing. <laughs> just oh take your time. Sorry, so sorry. Yeah, take your time. It's like a Crimean um, war hospital. Ruth, both Ruth and I, dear listeners, have um, colds, coughs, and we're, we've uh, obviously our immunity for colds and flus has um, diminished over the last couple of years. Um, so I will be leaving the room when I cough. Um, and uh, Ruth, bless you. Um, thank you for uh, still sticking at it. You know that's what yeah. that's what teachers do, isn't it? Absolutely. And head teachers, yeah. Excellent. Uh, she just uh, Ruth just messaged me. She said, "What shall I do if I need to cough?" And I've very succinctly said, "Just don't." Yeah, so what, what did I say? And what did I reply? Oh, hang on, I've not seen. Is it? Did you call him a twat? Oh. <laughs> um, yes, she did. Frankly. Um, so what we need to do is not not laugh because <laughs> laughing makes me cough. Clearly, laughing makes Ruth cough as well. So let's no laughing. Mm-hmm. Let's do it yes. very seriously. No yeah. laughing. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, this is this is descending into absolute madness, and we've not even got to any subjects yet. So the the object of this episode is to talk about school exclusion, and I think it's an when we popped out a few social media things, people got in. We've got lots of people's opinions. The thing that precipitated that was the the government in tw- uh, beginning of September when we had a government. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Which one? I don't know. There was a government. There was a country. Yeah. Oh, weeping tears of unhappiness. Um, <laughs> they put out a new, um, I'll give you the exact phrasing for this so you can find this online, suspension and permanent exclusion from maintained schools, academies and pupil referral units in England, including pupil premium movement so that's a, some guidance that came out september this year um which is in relation to uh, school exclusions and suspensions and there was a little bit in the very bottom of section 61 and I, this bit really made me laugh and so i'm gonna this is my start point then i'm gonna hand over to ruth and i'm gonna tell get ruth to tell me 
everything she thinks and feels about them. And you need to introduce yourself as well, Ruth. Anyway. But anyway, in section 61 of this piece of We've had Ruth says, on before. <laughs> yeah, I know, but that is. was probably... That was in a different role, because Ruth, Ruth changes careers oh, well, like yes, I change true. hats. Um, yeah. so she might be Prime Minister by the time this is going out. <laughs> um, yeah, you can do a worse job. I do, well, that's not a great endorsement in this current situation. <laughs> um, where previously looked after children face the risk of being suspended or permanently excluded, the school should engage with the child's parents and the school's school's DT. I don't know what DT is. The school may also seek teacher. Get it? Come on, you. I'll coax. All right. Um, the school may also seek the advice of the virtual school head on strategies to support pupils. Now, I read that and I laughed like a drain and thought, oh, like mm. the schools need to be told, oh, bad. if it's going to happen, maybe you should talk to the parents. Anyway, that's the oh. thing that started us off. Yeah. Can I just say that also sounds like passing the buck as well, a little bit. So I can understand why you'd laugh at that, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm. Right. Ruth, tell us who you are, why your opinion matters on this issue. <laughs> Okay, well, um, <laughs> I am now a head teacher um, of uh, an infant school in Sunderland. Um, it's a very long, convoluted story how I came to be there, so I won't go into it now. But um, I've got a, I've got a kind of a prehistory almost with that particular area um, because I used to teach in the in the school next door. So, um, but when it comes to the government line on exclusions. Who to thank it? Talking to the parents. I mean, seriously. And it, yeah. it does, it's slightly alarming that we've got, you know, these people thinking that they, that we don't do that. Mm. And I can't quite, I don't understand what's called, I don't know what doesn't talk to parents, but maybe that's my naivety, that maybe because I'm not of the bent that would say, oh, no, we don't talk to parents. Mm. Um, I'm not one of those schools, we're not one of those schools who would need to be told to talk to parents because we do that. So I don't know, you know, and maybe I'm the kind of the fortunate one because I haven't, I haven't been on the other side of that relationship whereby school is the um, potentially the trigger, the, 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 the difficult partner in all of this. Um, I've not had that as a parent. I've not been that as, a, as an educator. And I certainly hope to goodness that I'm not that now that I'm a head teacher of a school. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll give you some statistics because I think that, I mean, in some, well, I've got you on because I know that you've got, you, you're probably, would you consider yourself to be sort of a progressive head teacher? Well, as opposed to a, a trad. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess. No, I said a, re a regressive head teacher. A regressive, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess, I guess if we have to ascribe labels, then yes, then absolutely progressive. Yeah, and your background is in relation to a lot of work around special educational needs. Is that fair? Yeah, lots. Of, well, I've been in education for a long time. And <laughs> I've lost count. <laughs> um, what, what amazes me is that, like, you know, the, the, the more years I put in, the less expert I feel, which is kind of, you know, I just think, yeah, well, obviously, maybe I am the regressive head teacher then, because I seem to be going backwards in time. Um, and... But I've, done, I've also done a lot of work outside of schools and um, doing lots of training around emotional intelligence and also done lots of training around adverse childhood experiences and all of that stuff. So um, so I think I come to the role with uh, a good 
not necessarily with a good understanding, but with with a, a, a recognition that we have to do more in the mm. education sector. We have to be doing more to support our children, whether or not they come, you know, they're looked after, previously looked after, you know, that we need to be doing more in terms of working with children and their families to support them. Um, and never more so than now, post-COVID. Yeah, because I was looking at the statistics and um, I dragged them up and they're on the DfE website. Um, there were 3,900 permanent exclusions in the year 2020-21, which was um, <clears throat> a, thousand, a thousand lower than the year before, but that makes sense because we're in lockdown. What is really interesting in is that there was actually, um, um, there was 350,000 suspensions which is an increase from the year before like by 40,000 um, and I was just kind of really can you make sense of the school thinking when schools get into that when schools feel the need to exclude children what is kind of the narrative behind that what would you know if you were sat around in a group of head teachers doing whatever you a gaggle of head teachers do what would be the narratives around why student schools are struggling and why then they're excluding Blimey, that's that's huge actually I, that's not <laughs> right. really an, an easy answer i think i think some of it will be because the some of it will be and i'm being brutally honest here some of it will be because we simply no longer know what to do and what to put in place right if you know, now what I find, what I, you know, when I kind of get to that point where I think I don't, and this could be in relation to anything at all, but where I get to a point where I think I don't actually know what, what more we can do or what more I can do, then my recourse is to phone a friend, to actually do a bit of research, to actually think, you know, when we talk about children's lives, family networks, family relationships, you've kind of got to look that little bit harder, look that little bit deeper. Um, from my absolute, from my own experience, so I've only been a head teacher since January, and it's my first school, and the, and it is an infant school. But what I think is really interesting is the number of children who are coming, kind of if you like, through the doors, who are experiencing more and more difficulties, more and more mm. distress. And I think a lot of that is a COVID hangover, um, a lot of that is parental anxiety because of a COVID hangover. There's there's so many factors. Um, but I'm not sure that schools have been, well, we know that schools haven't been as well resourced to manage the COVID hangover as they could have been. Yeah. And particularly at the moment, you know, with this, so yeah, I'm not even going to describe the government, but with this ridiculous show shower that we have at the moment with the government, with this increase in, in, in um, cost of living, resourcing, etc, etc. I don't know that this is going to be, is going to improve any over the next couple of years at least. Um, and I know that goes nowhere near to answering the question that you asked me. So remind me, what was the question? <laughs> well, I, I, well, no, no, I think it was... Um, what are the underlying reasons and how do yeah. schools sort of, okay. why do schools sort of get to that point? Because yeah. I think it's that easy. We, it's really easy. We could do a podcast about why children should be included. Mm -hmm. But I think the first step is really why mm -hmm. to get into that mindset, what's happening in schools. Mm -hmm. And I know you've only been a head teacher for a while, but you, mm -hmm. you, you've been in education. You've oh, seen yeah. it happen. Mm -hmm. Oh, loads. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, 
it, it comes down to the mindset. I mean, you've just used that word. It comes down to the mindset as much as anything. So I have experienced both in terms of my own, you know, what I've seen as a teacher and what I've had conversations about as a new head teacher, that there are some schools, some leadership teams, some cultures who or which are not prepared to prepare to go down that extra, you know, prepared to take that extra step in order to understand why children might be behaving as they do. And so, so they adopt a more behaviorist approach. So it's a much more black and white. A child is, is transgressing and they've done it for three times now and there needs to be a consequence. So if that consequence is, is um, seclusion or suspension or, or permanent um, exclusion, then so be it. And I think that you know you only need to look at edu Twitter to see that in all its glory, where you have the, yeah. the trads versus progressives and the traditional approaches. There always needs to be a sanction. There always needs to be. It is a one size fits all for, for fairness or transparency. Yada yada yada. As opposed to well, actually, let's look at each individual case on its merits and think about the child that's at the centre of it and think about how we support that child two incredibly opposing um, positions. And it seems to me there's very often not any middle ground. You know, you're either one thing or the other. Um, I think from my own experience as a head teacher, I, I have had to um, suspend a child. You know, there, I said it. It was horrific. And the first time I did it, I cried. Yeah. Cried and cried and cried. It wasn't... I mean, I'm not going to go into it because obviously it would be inappropriate, but yeah. you know, I, I, it, it took me a long time and many, many really serious instances and so finding out from everybody around me and everybody else what, what was the appropriate action and was have been working with that parent, that family, had their full support when I did it. But the problem was... But in doing it for that first time and dealing with the fallout, my personal, you know, fallouts, nobody else's, nobody said, oh, Ruth, how could you? Everybody, everybody, behaviour support services, fellow head teachers, the family were all saying that was the right and proper thing to do. Mm. Thank you for doing that. Um, but what then happened was it became a, it became a bit of a merry-go-round in school where he'd come back and another violent incident would happen because he'd been excluded for a very similar incident, you know, two weeks previously, it needed to have the exclusion or the suspension rather needed to happen yeah. again. And so we ended up doing this merry dance. And, you know, I ended up, I think it was 16 days in total over a period of about, well, it was over a period of, of a term that this happens. And by the end, I was absolutely demented thinking, well, it's not working, is it? <laughs> to suspend the child of six, this is not working, regardless of what yeah. the advice is from traditionalists, from behaviorists, from progressives, from people, psychologists, um, uh, and Ed Psych who came in to, to support. You know, in spite of all of that, you know, worthy advice, it wasn't working because it kept happening. Mm-hmm. And the thing that, that made the difference actually between then and now is that, thank God, the summer holidays happened. 
and we were able to break that cycle for that child. And I absolutely firmly believe now, having, you know, developed this amazing relationship with this child who still struggles, but not in the way that he used to, you know, it was about breaking a cycle of stuff that was happening. It was like a, a habit. It was, it was familiarity and doing the same old, same old, because the expectation that he'd get sent home, you know, they're all of that. Yeah. Thing. Um, and the expectation from staff at school, oh, he's done it again, Ruth, he needs to be suspended. The expectation mm. from all of the support that I was getting from behaviour support services, yada, 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 was, yeah, you've got to keep doing it. You've got to set those boundaries. What actually worked was no school for six weeks. And in fact, it was seven weeks because that final week of the July half, half term, he wasn't in school. Um, so we broke the cycle. And that's, mm. I honestly believe, is the key. Had that term continued, I'm pretty damn sure we'd be still, <laughs> you know, that revolving in that door, room. in, out, in, yeah. out, in, out. Crazy. Mm. I'm going to let Scott talk now because he's told me off by text and I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, it's, it's an interesting one, though, because I think, Ruth, in some ways you're right about breaking the cycle. But there's also an element of, you know, I've only been a parent for 15 years. You've been teaching way longer than I have been a parent. But bear with me while I, I just go on my train of thought. Here. So a couple of weeks ago, we had a very stressful situation, shall we say, where something happened at school and it was an unusual event that happened but as ever you know our experience has been if you um are looking to punish punish i don't know if that's the word that educationalists use these days but if you're looking to punish one of my children who come from trauma backgrounds the traditional methods don't work okay so if you say right you've got a, a lunchtime detention that to me, as soon as I hear that word detention, I have to like Al, I have to laugh because actually they're getting a whole hour of one-to-one attention from an an adult who you know they maybe a teacher, maybe someone they don't know, maybe a uh, you know whoever. But what they're getting is they're getting what they need. Um, in in terms of you know they get enough attention at home. Don't get me wrong, but. At school, they're you know they're they're kind of slotting into the the class, mm-hmm. so they're not getting that kind of that. Um, I, I, I don't want to say one hundred percent attention all the time, but they're just not getting the attention that they need. So therefore, you know, put them in that, that kind of lunchtime exclusion, after school exclusion, uh, sorry, detention situation, and they're like, "Wow, I'm getting the attention that I need." So therefore, for and under those circumstances, it, it becomes that merry-go-round for them because they're getting what they mm-hmm. what they almost want. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they want it, but you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Um, but you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were in the situation where a, an incident happened at school. It was it was basic. You know, bear in mind. Uh, I'm sure you won't mind me talking about it. I'll ask him before we go out. So if, if this episode goes out, then you'll know he we have his permission. But Jacob, who turned 16 over the summer, went back to school. The typical 16-year-old, you know, they're now in the equivalent of um, A-level, first-year A-levels over here for his year. Um, and, you know, typical kind of teenage kids who, you know, have a bit of banter on the in the corridors, you know, all that sort of stuff. And something happened where, you know, he came into contact with another person in his year's ear. And what happened was the ear got cupped with his hand and basically the eardrum nearly perforated. 
Okay. As a result of that, then that was classed as, although legally it's not classed as, but it was classed as a, a form of physical kind of whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And the whole situation kind of escalated from there to the point where the you know we need to exclude, uh, uh, not exclude, yeah, exclude. Yeah, exclude. Suspend. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, suspend, exclude. I never I, I I'm not sure the definition between them both, but I would say the word uh, suspend. Yeah. But then, you know, I'm from the well, 1980s. Exclusion's so. permanent, isn't it? Exclusion yeah. is yeah. that's the end of it. Yeah. Okay, and so suspend. Suspension's so. tampering, yeah. Right, okay. So yeah. so that was the plan. That was suspension. But what happened was he was supposed to have a review for his um so over here it's a little bit different because obviously we don't have EHCPs. Um we do have um the equivalent of learning support assistants, so they're called uh, uh, SNAs over here. Um and on the day that, sorry, the day after this happened, he was supposed to have a review for his SNA support. Now, bearing in mind, he is in kind of A-level year, if you like. Um, so his support has been reduced based on the fact that he has become 16. However, it's, you know, the, the, the circumstances which he gets that support depends on the subject, depends on his interest in the subject, depends on the teacher, because we all know that, you know, some of our children take disliked some teachers because they may have looked at them the wrong way or, you know, blown their nose the wrong way or whatever. Um, but long story short, the, the, the kind of, um, it was, it was looking like he was going to be excluded. And for him, he was like, yeah, whatever. I was kind of thinking at the time I was thinking, actually, do you know what? Would this, would, would this work for him? Because he's now into, a, he's choosing to go to education now. Yeah. He doesn't have to go to education but he's choosing to go to education. Would it work for him? Cat, shut up. Um, I don't know if you can hear meowing, but... Um, <laughs> I could hear you meowing, yeah. yes. And my cat, she's, she's just laying on the table saying, come and feed me, please. Um, but my, my point is, I was kind of thinking, could this, could this work at this stage? I, do, I don't know. Um, and there was part of me also that was saying, 15 years, mate, I'm fed up of this now. You know, is there a way we can get you to understand that actually you've just gone that little bit too far this time? Oh, don't get me wrong, it was, too, it, it was very innocent. It wasn't malicious. It wasn't meant to happen. It was just one of those situations. Um, and for me, I think it's just the, the, the conversation with school here, and I know it's very different to, the UK, to England specifically, but here a conversation with 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 home is is the last resort so there's you know we we have these um these things in place for you know making sure that you know everything is tickety-boo we're in the first term of the new year um we don't expect issues to happen until the end of the first term in the new year but you know this happened very early on etc cetera, etc cetera. but there is part of me as a parent that's going actually is now the time where we where we should be learning that. And I know you're an infant school, but so it's a little bit different, but you know, there's, there is, I've just got so, you know, and I know from some of the questions and, and the responses that we had on uh, social media to this exact topic that everybody's all over the place with it really, aren't they? This is turning into a personal therapy session. I know it is. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but l listen, yeah. I know Dr. Ruth, Ruth too, is now going to fix you. I, I know Ruth fine. too as well, you know. It's, not just it's, you fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, um, Can I add to that then? Um, we've got a few comments that might that be interested in your comments, on, which actually fall on the back of what Scott was saying. Um, this is from Maria Catrick, who you may know, mm. who is FASD kind of uh, champion. Uh, 
she comes across this on a daily basis, standard exclusions, but repeat, um, not just standard exclusions, she's talking about um, repeat illegal suspension stroke exclusions, where parents are asked to come and pick up children for three, hour, uh, three hours early, or mm. being offered just one, one, day of one hour a day education um, throughout primary school. Um, child, child that's not struggling at ECH, EHCP, um, internal exclusions for misdemeanors such as not showing up with a pen, shouting out without putting hands up, um, isolation for two weeks. So are, are you seeing where schools are sort of dancing around the statistics or just kind of managing children or using inappropriate ways to manage children that they yeah. should be able to support better. I'm, I, I know you I, might have an opinion yeah. about this. I, I think it's um I think it's an issue with managing how do we manage those those tricky, tricky individuals? And I know from my own experience, not I have not done this, but from schools in which I have worked, there are absolutely examples of children um, and families whereby families parents have been told we can offer a part-time timetable for your child but we can't manage them all day mm. so you pick them yeah. up at lunchtime yeah you know when I've come across that I have had to say no not doing it because yeah that is this illegal <laughs> secondly whereas you know that every child is entitled to their education. Um, thirdly, if a school, if, if the leadership of that school is saying, we don't want these children, we can't manage these children, then my God, that leadership needs to do something and pull their finger out and change that ethos. Because you can't, you cannot stop children. You can't, it's, it's, it's morally repugnant to say to a family, no, no, we, we can't have your trials between these hours because it's, we can't manage. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I think, you know, you don't tend to get in, certainly not in infant schools, but you don't tend to get in primary, certainly, those situations where children are sent to exclusion, um, isolation, right, yeah. for, for want of a, a, of a different coloured sock or not having a Again, the schools that operate that kind of policy, seriously, what, what, why? Why expect the small stuff? Why make that so difficult for young people? We don't know. Oh, I, I can't. I, I don't have the words. And I know, I know it's not appropriate to swear, but, you know, it, it's wrong. It's wrong because we don't know why some children come to school somewhat disheveled or without a pencil or with the wrong, the wrong pair of shoes on. But the counter argument to that is surely, isn't it? I mean, I, I sort of. I have some sort of empathy with the idea of, you know, you see teachers saying, well, we've got to have a standard. We've got to have. We've, we expect our pupils to come ready to learn. We, that one disruptive child is stopping other... I'm just playing devil's advocate. Don't come and get me, the pair of you. Um, one child is potentially disrupting the learning of everyone else in the classroom. So that child, the consequence is that that child must be, uh, I'm just going to say removed, or taken out, or removed, so, or sanctioned. So, so what I think... We've got two separate issues here. We've got the issue of the child who comes to school without the pencil, the dictionary, whatever, and that's that's just just the school being stupid about their, you know, the non-minutiae <laughs> of their rules. Seriously, I mean, it's ridiculous because just because you haven't got a pencil doesn't mean you're not ready to learn. Now, the other point we were talking about the group that you know the 29 children in the class with the one child who is really hard work. Mm. 
totally get that, totally get that, which is why schools should bend over backwards to make to be sure that they are looking after and supporting the child who is posing difficult in order to facilitate the 29 other children learning. So, you know, and I've got this, I, I'm kind of in the middle of this scenario myself at the moment. And my feeling is that when parents say we are not happy or I'm not happy about that child in my child's class disrupting my child's learning. <coughs> excuse me. I coughed. You're sorry, excused. <coughs> oh, dear. Um, oh, dear. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the coughing sorry, episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so what I have to say to those parents is you have to understand that we are not a, you know, we're not a school with specialist provision. We are a school like every other school in the country and in every single class, there will be those children who maybe don't conform or comply in the way that your child does. And so that is a reality of today's education system. And I have to be allowed and the school has to be allowed to make provision for that child in order to facilitate the learning of every other child in that class. Mm. And I've got a couple of mums of staff who have asked me recently, am I really expected to say to a parent who's complaining about another child's behaviour that they have to basically just let us get on with it? And I said, yes, because what, what is the alternative? Now, what I, I have dealt with some parents previously who have said, you need to exclude that child. You need to get mm. rid of him. Yeah. I'm not having any parents... <laughs> tell me that because they are because i'm in you know i've got the whole picture the whole group of yeah, whole yeah. Mm -hmm. and for those parents it's it, i totally understand why they might be saying you know this child shouldn't be in class with my child yada 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 but actually they're only they're seeing it from that very 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 limited point yeah. of view it is just mm -hmm. and, and it is their child and they want the best for their child but also in providing support for the child who's, who's causing mayhem and madness and chaos actually the other 29 children are learning about self-regulation how to you know how to deal with emotions they yeah. see adults modeling really supportive compassionate behavior that's yeah. based not on a one-size-fits-all but on a Okay, so this is what we do with Johnny because actually he really struggles and we all know he really struggles. So let's make let's make some space for him in the yeah. same way that I know you struggle with, I don't know, something else that yeah. we make provision for you. And that's mm -hmm. that's the list, lesson we should be teaching our children in terms of inclusivity and accuracy. Yeah. So, I've, I've never thought of it like that before. You've literally blown but, my mind. Yeah. And, but it is true. And I think we need to clone Ruth. Okay. So <laughs> cloning incoming. Because actually, it's true. Because the, the reference point I was making earlier was um, the, the exclusion was because another parent wanted him excluded. Um, and under because we're still in Europe. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, it's too soon. Too yeah, soon. No, sorry. Um, but, but interestingly, so, you know, at the end of the day, they, they were claiming that we'd signed the um, school um, rules thing, which we hadn't, yeah. because we knew that it, it was not possible. It was not possible for us to say that Jacob would, could stick to the rules because a lot of them were very restrictive. Yeah. Um, and we know that, you know, there's there's a lot of things in it 
so that was what was being pulled out by the other parents. Um, but because of GDPR, um, they couldn't actually, they weren't allowed to know what the punishment was. Um, so he did spend some time out of the classroom, but he wasn't, excluded, he wasn't excluded from school. He was included within school. So it was an inclusion rather than exclusion, which I know works really well for, for my kids, you know, um, well, for certainly two to three, as going through their, their education. So, yeah. Um, but let's just want to move on a little bit because we've, we, we've had comments and Jack has commented, and I'll be interested to know what you think of this, Ruth. Language is important. Exclusion is so shaming. And exclusion in mainstream, often the end of a line of shaming. From sitting a four-year-old on a rain cloud, writing the name of mm -hmm. a five-year-old on the yes. board under red traffic light for all to see all day, and sitting little kids outside the head teacher's office, all trigger. Uh, punishment for things they can't do, not things they won't do. Six-year-old was known as a naughty boy by other kids and their parents because of the way he was treated in school. It was a lovely village school. And the staff didn't think they'd done anything wrong at all. They were kind, followed behavioural policies. And all the while, they were massive clues of difficulties, such as hiding under desks, running away. It's cruel. Behaviour policies in schools are based on 1970s knowledge and practice about the time they were brought up to date. Yes, yes, I wholeheartedly agree, which mm. is why in, in my schools, since I've been there, I've just said to the, the, the teachers, I do not want the rain clouds or ladders oh. or mm. any of that stuff because, mm. because it is public shaming. Now, what I have agreed to for some teachers, and it depends on the nature of the children, but they've got on the teacher lanyard, the staff lanyard, they've got a series and they've got a red, yellow and um, amber circle. If, if, if that, you know, if a particular child is, you know, is, is being naughty, then mm. they just quietly walk up to said child and flash him whichever colour. And it's just, it's just a gentle way for the child, but it's not, <laughs> the photo doesn't go on the yeah. right side of the front mm -hmm. of the class. The name doesn't go on the board. And yeah. it's, it's a much more compassionate way of doing it. I don't like that particularly either, but no. I, have to work, I have to work with my staff. So, um, you know, yeah. I'm chunking away at it. But but to me, it's shame is the most... Oh, but, that is a nicer, but that's a much nicer way of doing it for the child as well, yeah, you know, yeah, because absolutely. actually they're not, yeah. they're not, they're not taking home the trauma of being mm -hmm. publicly put on the, the yeah. whiteboard or whatever it yeah. is with the rainbow or the red, white, yeah. green, uh, red, white, green, red, amber, green, mm. you know, and it's just a thing between them and the teacher. That's yes. completely different, isn't yes. it? To the public and, and shame absolutely. model. Absolutely. And it's, and you know, every, or every one of us needs to be told to rain, you know, winding every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> And that's not a problem. Not a problem to, to, to have that, you know, reminder. But, but it's how it's done. It's how it's done, isn't it? That kind of... <laughs> I mean, if you're going yeah. to say stuff on Twitter and get called a twat, then, you know, that's, that's your red. That's a red. I think I'm in the red. I think I'm in the red, definitely. Well, I heard, I heard someone once, um, and I can't remember where it was. I can't remember who it was. So forgive me. Get it out. Um, forgive me if I'm speaking out of turn, but they said, you know, well, why don't we try that with the staff in the staff room? So why don't we get the staff's names? And why don't we say, well, this one's not doing too well. Yeah. Put them on the red mm -hmm. and put them on the amber. But Because one thing I, I was reflect, reflected on, um, and I... Um, <laughs> I, work, I don't work in schools, per se. Um, I sometimes go into schools. Um, and I 
one school I do work in, I support student social workers in. And um, what is really interesting is to hear staff. Um, watch us walk in the corridors and I hear staff and I hear staff struggling. And what I see, and then in conversation, seeing that there's this correlation between staff who are struggling and poor behaviour in the class and this downward spiral for, for, for specific members of staff who are just, that they're, they then try and become something, or they they sort of start to wield the the school distribute policy like a like a bat, mm. and it just kind of gets this this downward spiral. Do you see yeah. that that is? I mean, I, I'm not. I don't want to kind of go in on staff, but that is that a fair? Absolutely. Thing? And I think, and again, this comes back to it. So all the work I've done around self awareness, emotional intelligence, that you know, when when you are triggered by something, it's it, it has a potential to sit and fester and then you're triggered the same way a couple of hours later and then it happens again and then it happens again and then it becomes you know this habit this, this pattern of behavior and it's so easy for staff any staff to be fair social workers early help mm. whatever it's really easy to, to look at your the, podcast the person, <laughs> yeah yeah podcast host exactly and think I, I don't know what to do with you anymore. <laughs> what, what's the point? What is the point? <laughs> and so it becomes, it becomes like a self, like a like a what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? Self-fulfilling prophecy. That's that's the one. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Look at me. Ooh. I know. Very impressed. <laughs> but you know, I, I do, and this is something I've been going about for hours, and I won't. But it is. This is about if you have a level of self-awareness and understanding of what makes you tick and makes you anxious and worried then it is much easier to address any issues you have with that tricky family child or your tricky partner or your own children or whatever whoever it might be but if you haven't got that self-awareness you're on hiding to nothing and you're never going to get anywhere yeah again is i think really important for you know for really for for anybody working with people in whatever capacity just needs that basic grounding i think in what it means to be self-aware because it's yeah. incredible how few people actually are self-aware and and of course we all we all have the potential to lose our self-awareness if we're poorly or tired or stressed ourselves but as a general rule we need that as a basic you know skill in terms of the job that we do when we're working with people and if i yes. was prime minister for the day that yes. is what i would be doing that could be possible, to be fair. You know, we seem to be, you know. Yeah. Everyone's um, going to get a turn at this rate. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because all I heard from that whole bit was that people let Al into school. That's, that's all I, that's all I'm, I'm letting him into my school in a couple of weeks. Do you think oh. I'm doing the wrong thing there, Scott? Oh. Check his DBS. That's all I'm saying. All right. I'm on the update service. I have to say, I went... I drove past Sarah's school. That sounds really creepy. I didn't. I went to Sarah's school. <laughs> See, uh, See what I mean? Ruth's school. Sorry, I went to Ruth's school. And um, if you imagine an inner city school, mm. that's exactly what you've got. With right. Ruth. It's like this. This, this Edwardian is it? An Edwardian it's Victorian yeah, building. Yeah, yeah. yeah like okay. like a solid block of a building with the, yeah. you know, the the railings and the play yard, and then this big towering building. Mm. It is just. Awesome! I love it. But I was going wow. to say that—that's probably quite, quite imposing. Though. Yeah, I was going to say it that's probably looks, looks quite weird mm. from the outside. But I bet when you're inside, it's completely different. Yeah, 
I, yeah. I, it's got a lovely feel inside. And of course, I yeah. didn't quite get over the thresholds because I wouldn't let him. Um, no. You're checking his DBS forms. Those burly men wrestled me. That's a drive right on, right on by Al. Just keep going. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. And um, I uh, was just looking through some more of the comments and just maybe to get your thoughts on them. Um, and this is an interesting one, I think, that. Um, uh, this is again, I think, from a, I think it's from an adoptive parent. So our two primary aged plaques that previously looked after children with developmental trauma were given four fixed term exclusions in the last half term before summer. They received another one this week, despite lots of conversations and a letter from us saying excluding is the wrong thing. We're exhausted and really stressed, which makes it so hard to parent. And the exclusions make the girls stressed, which makes their behaviour worse, which gets them excluded again. Mm. It's such a vicious cycle. We're desperately trying to get them not to look at the behaviour, but to look for the distress instead. Mm. But it's a mindset change for them that I just don't think they're really getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, I think I see that in in my experience. I've seen that in other schools I've worked in. And to a certain, I have seen it at my school which is why I'm kind of trying to do and which is why I'm getting you to come in now to talk to the staff and do some training with them because I think it is a mindset. It is a shift in thinking that takes takes you away from thinking of the classroom as your domain and your primary role as educator because in this day and age, that's just fanciful. And it moves you more towards a, a more pragmatic approach which says, okay, I've got 30 little individuals here. They're all blooming different. Some of them will be a joy to work with some of them won't some of them are geniuses some of them are not so actually how do I meet their needs um and I think the fact that there are so many undiagnosed special education children with special educational needs the fact that so many of our excluded young people have got possibly even a diagnosed Mm. special educational need is just it kind of shows that the system that we have in place just is not working, does not work. And we have to be changing minds and mindsets and approaches to how we work with children who, you know, 20 years ago, we probably wouldn't have seen quite as many coming through. There's a whole host of reasons for that, but it is, it's almost like an education. I do feel a little bit like your average school. It takes a while to, to, to change course yeah a bit like the titanic and the iceberg you know if, you know we it's very easy to keep going on and on and on because it feels like an impossible job to change things but that is what we have to do because in 2022 in every class in every school pretty well every school you are going to have at least five or six children with some sort of SEN some children who may have an undiagnosed special educational needs you will have a proportion of your children who are absolutely living on sort of on the bread line and you will have some children who have experienced trauma whether they know it or not and that means that the job of an educator is very tricky unless you reframe that job description and make it more about know, facilitating so I don't know what I don't know what else you would call an educator or a teacher. You know, facilitating kindness, compassion, self awareness, lifelong skills, communication. Bit of a mouthful, but that would be far better in this day and age than simply teacher. Because I don't think we are just teachers anymore, and we need to get past that mindset and understand it's way more complicated than that. 
That is interesting because that I'd not sort of thought of it in those terms of, you know, if you go back to like when your school was built, you know, which it was yeah. just kids come here to learn. Yeah. And we don't, and that's the end of our remit. Mm. And we're sort of expecting, are we expecting so much more from schools than, and the profession hasn't really got its head around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I, well, I, I see, I think that's unfair because I think that the, the profession on the whole has its head on that it's just been able to facilitate it and the capacity right. issues yeah. are, are a huge yeah. thing isn't it you think about you know what we were saying earlier about um you know so having three children sitting outside the head teacher's office because it'd be naughty if if we were able to fund appropriately within a school and have you know, uh, I, I, I'm just going to use words here, so forgive me for the words. But if we were well, talking someone, a, a floating, as opposed to dance, so what are you talking mine. About? <laughs> Shut up, mine. Um, <laughs> so a movie is a book. I don't know. Um, but if we were to, if 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 schools were able to fund a floating kind of um, role, let's say a teacher, I don't know, a therapeutic, <laughs> a therapeutic intervention for these children mm-hmm. to be able to be to be kind of um, nurtured in some way rather than kind of censored head teacher stuff, that would make a big difference, wouldn't it? And, yeah, you know, but we don't have this kind of funding to be able to do that at schools because schools are stretched. They're funded like to just the bare minimum, if that, and the rest of the money they have to find themselves these days. It's, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a charity. It's not a business, you know, it's, but that's the way that most schools are going. And that's, when academies came in to make sure that you know schools were funded appropriately etc etc but then of course you've got behavioral policies etc so it's it's a really you know anybody you know i hats off to any head teacher principal whatever you know their their job is who's in charge of a school because it is not a bloody easy job to look after staff and to look after children and their parents at the same time and that mm-hmm. essentially is what that head teacher role is and that's what's changed over the last Hundred years since you know schools were became a, a, a an obligation or a, or a thing in my eyes anyway. And and I, I agree with like one hundred percent of what you just said there, Scott. And I think to add to that is this notion that we we are judged. So we're mm. school league tables, Ofsted, mm. yada yada yada, results, etc. And and I you know as a head teacher, and I've said this to my staff on a regular basis, <laughs> and and kind of not upset them exactly, but made them, I think, question things. Because what I've said to them is, I don't give a monkey's actually about the results because they're bloody infants, for God's sakes. They are small, mm. they are little, yeah. they are wee. And if we get the basic right around, you know, developing self-awareness, emotional regulation, all of that really, really important stuff, then the learning will happen. Yeah. Even if we didn't want it to happen, it would happen because they've yeah. been mm. ready to learn. Um, so when I say to some of my staff who are really brilliant at kind of really focusing in on data and how we how we how we do a good job in terms of people outcomes, you know, when I say to them, I don't care about that stuff. You could just see them looking really deflated, like, oh, but I've got a really good spreadsheet. <laughs> I don't want to see your spreadsheet. I want to know how we're going to make things right for the kids. And, and so I'm just going to say another thing before you... Anybody this you setting fire to your career. Yeah, that's fine. I've said it to my governors as well. It's fine. Um, yeah, but, but Ruth's got a career to fall back on if this goes wrong. So we're all good. We're yeah, all good. Yeah. 
<laughs> but the other thing is that, um, and I've completely forgotten what it was now. It's just Sorry. Like, you said to your job. governors. Um, you're good. You were saying to your governors, you said. Yeah, well, I say, well, in terms of my career, I have already said to them I don't really care about results. They do know that they've got this blooming, <laughs> it's a useless article on their, on their team. <laughs> but because um, yeah. often I, I sort of try and work, make sense of you know when I was at school because I was that, that's my benchmark. Yeah. You know, when I was at school, what was Thank I saying? And, don't be that's, funny. That's too many years ago to even contemplate. Oh, shut up. With chalkboards and inkwells. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> my reflection is that I, I, exclusions were exceptional, that, um, mm. that there was lots of interesting children, lots of really interesting <sighs> children, um, that were often just like said, oh, just go and hit things with hammers in old work class. Um, mm. Yeah, but um, to be fair, I'm not, I'm not saying it's healthy in days. Yeah, but I don't want to interrupt you when you're talking because that's not me. But you know, that was in the days <laughs> where we used to get the 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 chalkboard rubber thrown at our heads to tell us to shut up. Oh, with um, your massive you know, head, it was an easy target. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, shut up. I used to have a, a hairline, you know. Um, we used to get a, a ruler over our knuckles if we were naughty you know that was the kind of we're, we're not talking about sitting outside the, the head teacher's office because we've got adhd and we just can't control yeah. ourselves but there was no labels back then was there i mean you know no. i remember i remember my mum going to school because i struggle with maths and asking for extra support maths okay i still struggle with maths i you know i need a calculator for everything like um, if i'm adding more than two did you know two double digits and double digits together I'm knackered alright let's just say that right my mum went to school and asked for extra support and they laughed her out of the office because they said that I wasn't a remedial child that was the word they used back then remedial um, you know we're talking about a completely different generation and we're also talking I'm about I'm not saying it was well. perfect no no I know no, I know, but it was like it was. It was just so different because it was black and white back then, wasn't it? These days, we have a. I'm not. I'm not saying we, it's a better thing, but we know, we understand more about aces. We understand understand more about trauma. We understand more about all the kind of things that we talk about every day on this podcast. So to compare it to the the 1920s when you went to school. You can't do that. No, but in the sense there was no grudges bed, there was no spreadsheet kept about my behaviour. No, true. There was no... But there, there was, was also no, no curriculum either. Because there was no curriculum. There was a curriculum. Back then. There a no, there wasn't. There, there was no official curriculum back then. There was. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right there, now. There, there was, because we all did no, the taming wasn't. of the... Sh- we did. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Thank you. Up, there was honestly. no official anyway, curriculum back in those days. And on that note, and on that bullshit... <laughs> Oh my God! Have I just managed to get <laughs> alcohol over a barrel? That right. I know I'm something. I'm going to go and Google that. Can yeah, I do. Jump, can I can I jump Push. in? Because I, I think no, I you're think the guest. What do you know? Why bring this back? <laughs> <laughs> There's only one word for you, Alcoach, and I'm not going to say it live. Mind with rat. But I think I think both of what you're. I mean, it's completely right. But the other thing that we've got now, which we didn't have, is online it's, it's online mm. it's social media and i mean that's huge yeah. anybody come across i don't know if that's that's going to be backwards isn't it basically no. children you know, technology and health uh-huh. development how yes. to help kids be safe and thrive online and it's by Ooh. dr catherine nibs 
And it's amazing because she's basically coined the term e-attachment as opposed to attachment. Oh, okay. And this whole, the world in which our kids live now is just so, you know, you know, I've got 5,268 friends, but I don't communicate with anybody outside in the, in the real world. And the, 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 the skewed, um, the skewed attitudes, uh, yeah. experiences mm-hmm. that we, that our kids now have. Yeah. Um, and I know that's kind of gone slightly off topic, I suppose, in terms of, um, in terms of thinking about exclusions, but I wonder how much of this social media, online con- connectedness yeah. with the mm-hmm. wide world, that, that means our inner world is much um, smaller, our family world is much smaller the world of work has changed we don't live with our grandparents anymore we don't have that you know our world has expanded which is amazing but also shrunk which is not amazing do you know what i'm trying to say i'm not really explaining myself very well the world is both an amazingly accessible place now Mm -hmm. but with no boundaries seemingly and but and yet our family our communities are much much smaller and we don't tend to communicate with our aunties and uncles in the way that we used to in the 70s say so we've got but again you know all of this stuff has happened really really quickly but we haven't caught up to that yet. So yeah. we're experiencing all of these problems with, with behaviour. Yeah. And so much of it potentially is, you know, is this is part of it. Yeah. And I think I, I think that's completely right. I mean, you know, we've got, there's, there's different makes up, makeups, isn't there? Because, you know, there are some families where, you know, aunts and uncles are quite close. There's, you know, somewhere they're quite distant, even though they might live locally because of the way families deal with stuff. You know, I think in my family, there's five of us, our phones are always in our hands. Mm-hmm. Always, always, always. Um, actually, I'm probably the, I'm probably the better one at putting my phone down when someone's talking mm-hmm. to me. Um, but everybody else seems to just like have a conversation with the phone in their hand and they're typing away and then they're talking as well. And when we think back to the seventies, eighties, you know, I mean, I always met my auntie and my oh. auntie, oh, oh, she'd make a sailor blush. She would, with, but <laughs> I'm, I'm very close to her because mm-hmm. we, and we still like, I very rarely talk to her online mm-hmm. because I want to have that conversation with her face to face because that's how you know and that's how we communicate um so it's it's yeah and and of course i don't judge anybody who sticks a phone in their child's hand because if that's what they need to do to be you know to i'm not judging it let's put it this way might not agree with it i'm not judging it um and it's very different now um because you know i i remember when back in 20 i'm sorry 2000 10 time when I was chatting to the head teacher of the boys school and you know she was explaining that actually communication is a really tricky thing for young people who are coming into school these mm-hmm. days because most of it is on a phone yeah. mm-hmm. they're watching things on a yeah. phone you know they're they're, they're yeah. in a push chair and parents are giving them yeah. a phone to mm-hmm. keep them occupied to stop mm-hmm. them from crying or whatever it is and that's so hard as well yeah. and that that does breed some kind of behaviors that yeah. we don't <laughs> understand yeah, I mean, I think it, it lessens opportunities to, to to talk about how you're feeling. It it, it mm. reduces your vocabulary. It reduces your yeah. understanding of self because you're living your life vicariously through a screen. So yeah. I think there's lots of reasons, half of which we probably won't know for years yet until the research is done. But I think mm. there's a yeah. 
I think there's a, there's a, there's a lot that's going to bite us on the butt in terms yeah. of how quick we've been to use mm. um, the screen, screen yeah. time as a, you know, and that's why it's so tragic when, you know, when we say you're, you are not having your Xbox because actually if that's the only way in which mm. you person yeah. communicates, mm-hmm. then to take that Xbox away from them is like, oh my God, yeah. it's like being told yeah. back in the 70s, no, you're not going to go out with your mates because yeah. you, you broke the dome. Mm. Yeah. It's the same effect, but we don't recognise that because no. we haven't caught up to that yet. Yeah, and in some ways we're all we're all progressive in terms of phones and you know blah blah. But actually, education hasn't really mm-hmm. you know we're you we're using social media mm-hmm. in education. You know, the DFE use social media to promote this and the next thing. Schools will say this class did this today, yeah. or they're on this trip, mm-hmm. or whatever. But actually, we're, we've not really caught up in terms of understanding that young people and children mm-hmm. actually have moved on as well. Yeah. And that's maybe part of the issue. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea how we got to this point. Does it matter? We're here to talk about no, school it doesn't and matter. schools we and are. exclusions. Right? Exclusions. If we go down a little rabbit hole, who cares? Nobody cares. There's many There is. So many I'm more gonna... than what we've just talked about. <laughs> oh, I know. Honestly, it's like it's like the, the coughing madness episode. I'm going to rename this one. Yeah, because you um, started coughing as well, I noticed, Corpse. You had a little go. <laughs> it, it was. It was a sudden think it was just... It, was. it wasn't I a criticism, just, Scott. It was, it wasn't it was a looking for sympathy, Ruth. That's what it you're was. Clearly, you're clearly quite unwell. Um, <laughs> tips and tricks for parents, right? So, in summary, on that I'm better now than I've been for years, I'll have you know, <laughs> Shut up. I know, you've, you've got the, they've got the complexion of an 18-year-old boy. Um, and a mahogany side table, but never mind. Let's not go there. Anyway, go on. Off if you parents find themselves in a situation where there's been sort of a communication breakdown or they feel like their child is at sort of risk, is there any sort of, I mean, there's a thousand reasons why they might find themselves at anything you can sort of, any advice you can give them in relation to, um, you know, um, I think, working with schools? Yeah, I, I, I think my... What I really want to be able to say is, well, I will say it, is, oh, hello, Pussycat. Oh, very cute. Um, she's going to start joining in the conversation in a minute. <laughs> and I was going to have to edit that because nobody else could see it apart from us. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, he's gone. I took a photograph. I'll tweet it out. Well done. Oh, yes. Brilliant. Um, I, I think my, my, my advice really is that and this is not advice for parents, actually. This is advice for fellow professionals in schools is talk to your families. Don't mm. have a venomous yeah. attitude. Don't be yeah. thinking they're, you know, they're rubbish parents or useless parents or those parents don't know what they're doing or that whatever they're thinking. Think to yourself, actually, how can we best support that family in order to make sure that little Johnny comes to school every day? Because we know that's what we all want little Johnny you know yeah. <laughs> um so for so what I would say to parents is you know don't don't give up hope and, and keep, keep <coughs> knocking on the door and keep saying to that you know keep saying to your teachers and your head teacher please will you talk to us will you communicate with us will you this is our feeling this is how this is this is where we are this is how we're feeling right now this is this is a situation that our son or daughter finds themselves in and we would like to have that open, transparent conversation with you. 
And I, I can't make every other head teacher and teacher in the world do that, sadly. Um, which is why I think my, my feeling always is that it's on the professionals to change their practice. Mm. Parents should not have to keep knocking on those bloody doors mm. in order to get some sense and clarification and support and understanding and compassion from people yeah. who actually are bloody paid to be there. And I know this goes back to the fundamental dilemma, you know, what is education about? Is it about here is some, here's a curriculum that we need to impart or is it a much more 21st century pragmatic, holistic approach to developing our young people to be resilient, responsible, competent, efficient in whatever way, you know, whatever way that looks, but, you know, functioning, functioning human, human beings, yeah, who can communicate with one another. And that, that to me is, is kind of the heartache really of all of this, because I know that mm. there are lots of parents out there who don't trust us, don't blame them mm. for the slightest bit. I've got lots of staff out there who think I can't talk to that parent because we're not on the same wavelength. I understand that as well. We've got to get on the same wavelength. And that mm. means changing how we how we view our roles and our understanding of what's going on in, in families' lives. Yeah. <laughs> It's a huge area, isn't it? Massive. Massive. And the, and the system, the system is not set up to do that either. Mm. You know, the system does not support families and schools to have those conversations. Which is yeah. why, again, which is why it's down to the professionals, I think, to make sure the system works for them in their school, in their context, with their families, and mm. not be afraid to, to, to be to book the trend or to not conform to what every other school is doing, I, you know, not to yeah. feel cowed by the fact that I've got to get an, an outstanding Ofsted or I've got to get 80% of my kids through their SATs, you know, don't let that be the driver. Let, yeah. let working with you, <laughs> with people be the driver. Mm-hmm. So while, while we've been chatting as well, I've just Googled the curriculum, 1981. Mm-hmm. It was a national curriculum, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Right. So when do you think I was at school? Way before 1981, mate. I'm not going to lie. Right. Can I just settle this argument? Oh, sorry, miss. Sorry, miss. Sorry, miss. What we had, what we, yes, that's right. Yes, sit up nice and straight. Can you just slant, slant? You know about the slant, don't you? The sitting up, the looking, the attention. Yeah, because we can all look in everybody's eyes. Absolutely. But back in the day, you had examples. And right. exam boards had their own curriculums for secondary, for O-levels, for A-levels. Oh, okay. But prior to being in school to do your O-levels and A-levels, no, there was no specific curriculum. Yeah. So you're both right. Oh, that's oh. just... Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> well, on that bombshell. Yeah, I know, yeah. I feel like you're we've come going, to the end of this You are never going now. to fight me on this show again, are you? Like, no, we're not having her. Of course we will. We're not with her. We love having you on. We do love having you on. It's like everything. We go, like, we have people on, because we did do a lot, didn't we, during Mm, COVID with you. Um, Mm. And then um, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, where's Ruth gone? Oh, because she's busy, that's why. And then we come back to it. So we'll always have you on. She's got a life and hobbies. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Unlike unlike, unlike (laughs) us. 
Oh, we've yeah, got family. It's just that we avoid them by doing the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, it works. No judgment. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's got us this far. Um, well, I am going to go back onto Twitter and uh, see if I can um, navigate some more insults, which apparently has been going on while I've been recording, which is fine. I'm quite happy to send insults over Twitter if you if you need me to. I mean, you know, if you're lacking, them, no, no, I, I'm ha- I'm happy to engage in some uh, the cut and thrust of banter with yourself. We have Ruth is Ruth is missed from Twitter. I have to say because you're not on there like you used to no, be because no, obviously no, you're, you've, you've, your role has changed and stuff, and, and, and you are missed. Right? Oh, well, thank missed. you. I, may have to... I do hmm. I do enjoy your Facebook post because obviously you go to Scotland a lot, and you know oh, yes. being Scottish, yes. so it does Maybe. you know yeah. it, it, it helps it helps with the homesickness. So thank you for that. That's I do right. appreciate That's it. That's right. We're, yeah. we're going to Aaron for the New Year, so I can't oh, wait yeah. for a Scottish oh, wow. New Year. I know. Oof. Oof. <laughs> you, better psych- you better start practicing. Now, right? That's what I said to my husband, bless him. I said, You don't know what you're in for. He said, Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Well, Ruth, thank you so much for coming on. Yes, and, uh, thank I you. I apologize for our incoherent coughing at you. And um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing you in a few weeks, but in your kind of your Victorian school, um, I'll come dressed in my Victorian garb. And um, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, as always. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. So, happy bye. Thank you. Okay, see you soon. Cheerio! 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 Cheerio. <laughs> <laughs>